Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep and more. Samuel Johnson is an actor who first came to prominence in The Secret Lives of Us, or at least that's how I got to know him. He's won a gold Logie for Most Popular Personality on TV and an actor for Best Lead Actor in a TV series for his portrayal of Molly Meldrum in the miniseries Molly. Sam put his acting career on hold after promising to raise $10 million for cancer research. The charity he co-founded with his sister Connie is called Love Your Sister, work that was recognised when they were both awarded the Order of Australia. In 2013 and 2014, he rode around Australia on a unicycle, visiting hundreds of communities, in the process completing a number of dares. He's currently on another tour, which will end in the middle of next year, but he's taken time out to chat to us about a book called Dear Dad. Hi, Sam. Welcome to Feed, Play, Love. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's a big introduction, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm flattered. (laughs) You've done a lot. Um, Your work to raise money and awareness about cancer has always felt like this incredible love song to your sister, Connie. But in the process, both of you, you and Connie, have built this enormous community. And I'm wondering what that is like, having such an intimate and personal story become what is essentially now a nationwide movement. It's it's impossible to comprehend. Uh, And the only thing I've been able to do to try and understand it is to surrender to it. Um, I, I, I have forged incredibly, um, intimate connections with countless mums, uh, families, Australians who are as traumatized by cancer as our family is. And it's an incredible bond we share. Um, it's, <laughs> if anyone dares call them an online community, I'll, I'll probably fly into a fit of rage cause these are real people and, um, I've devoted my life to them. Um, it's been a religious experience in a way. Um, uh, it's, I've found a sense of belonging. I've found some meaning. Uh, and I've found it in the arms of Australians everywhere. Um, and it ceased being about my sister a long time ago. I think the first year when I unicycled around the country, my sister was my main motivator. But by the time I'd gotten back, I'd met enough families for me to understand the broader issue uh, and to understand just that cases like my family's are not isolated. Uh, and so I call it feeding the beast. It's, um, it's this big, massive thing that's stronger than me and I just want to help feed it, you know? Um, so I, because that's what, I mean, I just wanted to point out if people aren't aware, if they haven't seen what you did with the unicycle, if they, if you just go to the, um, love your sister website, you can see your, um, one of a better word, tour dates, yeah. the places where you're going, yeah. there are hundreds and yeah. you're not, um, what you're doing is you're visiting all kinds of communities, small communities, regional communities. And, um, I, I just find it an interesting way that you've gone about this. 
Did it come from your experience doing the unicycle trip that you wanted to connect with those smaller... Yeah, this is what I wanted to do on the unicycle ride but didn't have time to do because I was 10 or 12 hours a, a day with a pole up my ass, <laughs> you know. Um, so this is a next level community engagement strategy. I go to primary schools, high schools, uh, I do home visits, workplace visits, street parties, uh, marquee fundraisers that are ticketed with hundreds of people at them. I visit lower socioeconomic areas Areas through the Department of Housing because I don't want to just be talking to people who can afford 70 bucks for a, for a, for a fundraising gala. Um, I, I go everywhere and I talk to everyone and I am the opposite of an ambassador that's there for the big moments. Uh, I'm on the ground all the time. And it's, an, it's, it's full time. Like it's it is. more than a full time Well, I don't job. have a home. Yeah. Um, you know, so when I say I give it my all, I mean, I don't have a base. Uh, so I kind of feel like there's politicians somewhere listening to this going, we really need Sam on our party. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, held, I've held more babies than a lot of them. <laughs> but it is really, it's incredible how um, this is the true meaning of grassroots. Yeah, it is. Um, and 1,100 communities in seven years. What What is that given you, like in terms of your understanding of even Australians as people when it comes oh, it's, to it's, it's given me a full understanding of the scope of the human condition, a full understanding of what it is to be Australian and a full respect of um, just how, uh, how rad humans are. <laughs> um, you know, I, I suppose I was cynical before this and I kind of felt a bit helpless about the human race and, um, you know, I, I thought, that the world was full of people that that were impurely motivated, and um, I was very distrustful, and that was partly because I achieved fame at an early age, and everyone changed towards me, so that really fed into my distrust. I felt like as a young man, I was like, "Well, you didn't want to talk to me beforehand. Now I'm on tally. You know, all of a sudden you want to be my friend." Um, that's where it started, and and that 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 led through to a, that that kind of developed into a chronic cynicism um, and and a quite a bleak outlook. And really, until my sister got cancer, and as so often happens when someone get, gets cancer that, that you're close with, it can really reinforce the importance of now. Uh, and I stopped. Um, I made a decision when I found out my sister was dying just to forget all of our tawdry concerns, all of our petty gripes and to wipe the slate clean and say, right, okay, let's just forget everything that's happened. What can I do from now to be the best brother in the world? And, and so we started afresh mm. and it was cancer that gave us the chance to do, to do that. And there's many people who'll tell you that cancer has been a has had a positive effect on their life and uh, I'm one of them. It's a double-edged sword though, isn't it? Yeah, well, my sister paid the ultimate price and, and lost a lot and I gained everything and and have it all. Mm. But um, Connie was 11 the first time she got cancer and it, cancer is one of those things that most of us don't understand unless we have a friend or loved one go through it. Yeah. Um. You mentioned how it, it sort of changed things when Connie got breast cancer, but you'd, you'd been introduced to that very young in your life. Do you, did you feel even at the point where she was diagnosed for the third time that you kind of knew what you were heading into? No, no, not at all, because this was terminal. She'd beaten the first two. At 11, she had a chronic uh, 
yeah, a really bad cancer, a Ewing's that attacks young girls mostly. Um, and uh, she was lucky to survive that and then a cancer in the womb at 22 and then at 33 breast cancer terminal Um, we were not prepared for terminal because Connie was our cancer beater she was our winner Um, so um, it was uncharted territory Uh, even though I can't remember Connie not having cancer in my life um, I really don't remember much before she got sick for that first time even though Cancer had characterised her whole life. When that terminal diagnosis hit, everything changed. What about your understanding of, um, for want of a better word, the process? Because when I've talked to a friend who was recently diagnosed, the thing that really struck me is that we hear about cancer, but we don't hear about the process of going through a diagnosis, trying to find treatment, um, and the fact that there is a lot of time that's spent not knowing what the outcome will be. Did you have a sense of how to navigate the medical system this time with Connie? Uh, no, my sister did. Um, um, but it, it, um, cancer promotes so much uncertainty because <laughs> um, our, our ways of treating it are so uncertain. We, you know, I so often will um, introduce a line of treatment and not know whether it's going to work or not. So often we'll take a test and you'll have to wait weeks to find out that you don't know the result of that. It just means you have to have another test. So um, it's it's a pain it's a painful process for patients to go through, and it's something that I wouldn't want to talk about authoritatively, having never been a patient. Um, I was always very scared to go to see the treatment side of things. I'm that guy. You know how, you know, people who have cancer, they go, oh, you find out who your friends are. Well, I'm one of the friends that disappears. Well, no, you you went around Australia. Well, I did, but I, yeah, I did. But, <laughs> but, but, but I am also one of those ones that, 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 that can't be there to see it. And I couldn't talk to her about her treatments. Um, mm. I asked her specifically not to talk about the cancer. But you have what you're doing now, the funds from your fundraising, mm-hmm. funds from your fundraising, they're going um, into specific areas, right? Like mm-hmm. you you have, it seems to me that you've really looked into where you think that will work best. Your personalised medicine. I mean, I mean, basically the story is this. At the moment, we do a hit and hope kind of approach when it comes to our chemotherapy treatments. So if you get diagnosed with breast cancer, you might be put on tamoxifen, depending on what type of breast cancer you have, uh, you might be put on tamoxifen because it works in 72% of cases. Uh, it takes three months to determine the efficacy of that line of treatment. And if it's not working, uh, you're filling your, your body full of drugs and the cancer's progressing because the medicine's not working. In my sister's case, her first line of treatment failed, her second line of treatment failed, her third line of treatment failed, and on her fourth line of treatment, we found the right drug, Zolota, which kept her alive for seven years. It's a miracle drug, and I love that drug. Trouble is, I want her on that drug the first time. You know, she, by the time we found the right drug for her, after just months and months of trial indications that weren't taking, uh, the cancer had progressed to her liver, lung, spine, pelvis and knee and it had metastasized and it was too late. If you take a tissue sample from the cancer when it's first diagnosed, walk it to the lab and test it genetically on all the medicines available to find out which one it'll respond to, you can walk back to the lab uh, back to the hospital bed, and give my sister that that correct treatment first time. That's known as personalised medicine. 
uh, it's the way the way the world's going, and I'm advocating for a push for personalised medicine for all new cancer patients, no matter the patient or where they live. At the moment, we have the technology to be more forensic about the way we treat our cancer patients, and one of the reasons why they're so uncertain about what's happening is because we're not treating them personally. We're not treating cancers individually. We're still using this kind of hit and hope approach, and that's what I'm. Uh, that's what I'm kind of. That's what I've said about trying to change. And the amount that you um, put down at the very beginning was ten million. Yeah. Um, how far off that goal are you right 9. now? Nine point seven. No, we're on nine point seven now. So um, seven years ago, me and my sister promised ten million, mm. and um, it'll be a pleasure to bring this one home. Touchwood. Oh yeah, I don't. I'm know. so close. I'm well, so close. speaking of being close, um, now we can talk about your book. Yeah, <laughs> which is why I invited you in here. Um, all all the profits from this book, which is Dear Dad, um, go to supporting cancer research. Yep. It's just in time for Father's Day, and they're letters from uh, notable Australians to their dads. But I'd like you to start by telling us what you wrote to your dad because um, it came up in my mind when my kids were telling me how bored they were the other day and I was like, oh, I remember that letter Sam wrote. <laughs> yeah, I'd encourage you not to tolerate boredom <laughs> in your kids at all as my dad didn't. Um, yeah, my dad um, my dad had a zero tolerance policy towards boredom and that fostered a curiosity in me um, that I believe has propelled me beyond my wildest aspirations. It's my curiosity about others um, and and um, the fact that the fact that I just I mean it's the most arrogant thing in the world to be bored. Look at what we're given. Look at the world. Look at all the people we're given. Look at all the animals. All of the natural beauty. Um, you know, just it, it, it. It's just such a stunning, heavenly, kind of smorgasbord uh, in front of us, and 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 to be bored with what we're put with what's put in front of us is a great insult, um, or was to my father. And what did he make you do? He made me write. I, I casually mentioned I was bored one time, and he made me did write down a list of twenty things that I could do that might alleviate your boredom. <laughs> That don't cost any money. Uh, and then once I'd written the list of 20 things I could do that wouldn't cost money to alleviate my boredom, I had to read it out to him. And after I'd done so, he said, so pick one. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he waited for a bit and he said, and then if you get bored doing that one, I don't know, mate, pick another one. Um, I spent the rest of the day working my way through that list and as I was walking away from my dad that night um, I'd go into his um, study to wish him good night every night um, and as I was walking away that day I, I, I thanked him for you know for um, showing me how to not not be bored and show, showed that I was a good son who'd learnt the lesson and, and he said that's okay good night and as I was walking away just just before I was out of earshot I just heard him call out from the other room. I hope you don't become a boring person. <laughs> um, and um, I suppose, you know, I suppose that's what I wanted to thank him for. I wanted to thank him for never allowing myself to, to, to be bored from that moment. Yeah, and not to be a boring person, that's mm. for sure. Um, are there other lessons you think parents can get out of a book like this? Because there's uh, so many yeah, letters. Oodles, oodles and oodles. Um, it's, it's such a fascinating insight, this book, into, into, uh, into fatherhood. 
um, but also into the minds of these celebs who, and, and you can see the fathers that shaped them, you know, and you can see what they're thankful for. And I, you, you'll see a bit of your own father in all of these letters. Um, and that's what I found so pleasing was, um, was knowing that, um, it was just, just knowing that, 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 that it's really common for dads to do what my dad did for me, you know. Um, but also there's some shocking fathers in there that deserve admonishment and um, and who weren't as, as good a father as they could be. And Catherine Devaney's letter uh, to her own father where she thanks him for absolutely nothing um, wow. is, is a brutal, brutal uh, takedown, an mm. evisceration, an evisceration of a man. Um, I've never read anything so powerful. It had me doubled over. Just uh, you know, she 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 really, really gave it back to a father that was abusive, mm. and um, and wow, it's a powerful piece. I don't want people to think that it's um, that it's a heavy book. I mean, you know, I've got people, I've got comedians, and um, and you know, and plenty of other people um, taking the piss. Yeah, it's got yeah. a big range of things. Mm. Um, before I let you go, um, Connie was really passionate about mums being breast aware as I know you are yeah so that that original message that you took with you in 2013 don't fall into the booby trap (laughs) be breast aware (laughs) I came up with that thanks that's great (laughs) that's wonderful but did you I mean uh, I don't know if I can ask you this I figure you've been in this space for long enough yeah um what does that mean? Oh, it means um, check for lumps and bumps or irregularities or any little painful points in, in the shower tonight, um, in short. Easy um, enough to Yeah, do. And, uh, and talk to your girlfriends. Um, you know, those. The, yeah, that message is coming from my sister, not from me. Mm. Um, but, yeah, as I tell the kids at the schools, uh, when I ask them to talk to their mums about it over the dinner table, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, t- I ask them to, um, to ask their mum to check for lumps and bumps, any irregularities at all. Mm. Um, and, and mums, as we know, are so busy putting the health of their children first. My, my sister made that mistake. She knew something was wrong. She didn't act. She went and got it seen to. She was falsely diagnosed. They told her she had mastitis and she was years beyond breastfeeding. Um, uh, you know, it's and she had th- she had three doctors tell her she's too young, and she knew something was wrong. She just knew, and she kept putting it off. And by the time she found it, sure enough, it was too late, and she had to say goodbye to her kids. This is a dangerous game we're playing with cancer. If we get onto it early, we win. If we don't, uh, it's horrible. Trust me. Mm. Um, you know, everyone ends up losing. Okay, so in the shower. Sorry, I need that tagline again. Yeah, you don't, don't fall into the booby trap. Be breast aware. <laughs> you know, that went all the way to Parliament. After Connie died, it. I had an MP get up in Parliament and actually quote that line. Well uh, done. Yeah, I know. I went all the way to the top with that tagline. <laughs> Not bad, huh? <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, she came up with most of the good taglines, so I'm just claiming my one. Okay, well, we're going to say that well, it's, I, I think it's definitely going to happen that you're going to get to 10 million. Fingers crossed. What happens then for Sam? Um, a cold beer. A cold beer. I'll, I'll just find a spot under a moon uh, just with myself because I've been incredibly um, busy with people. I have a lot of human contact. <laughs> um, I think I'll take myself into a forest and I'll find a clearing and I'll have an esky and a fold-out chair and I'll sit down on my own and I'll look up at the stars and I'll raise my, I'll raise my drink, and I'll say we did it, sweetheart. Well, I can't wait 
for the Instagram post of that. Sam, thanks so much for your time today. It's my pleasure. That's Samuel Johnson. He's the co-founder of Love Your Sister. You'll find links to where you can buy Dear Dad in the notes of this episode. As I just mentioned, all the profits go to supporting research into cancer, along with links to Love Your Sister where you can donate there as well. Thank you so much. Next time on Feed, Play, Love, we have the much-loved Mothercraft nurse, Chris Minogue, answering all your questions. So you take out yogurt, cheese, whole milk, like, you know, milk you put on your cereal and your tea and your coffee. It's quite dramatic. And also milk chocolate. Oh, what? <laughs> so it's not even, a bit much. It's not even worth it, is it? Don't forget to email your questions to helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This podcast is produced by Debbie Ning. See you next time. Hold up. 